Louie. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rhodes? Where we're going, we don't need Rhodes. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, how are you today? I'm pretty good, Mike. How are you? I can't complain, I guess. But you know, just the other day I had my, my phone out and of course it's got a video camera on it and I videotaped the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Oh, wow. What was so it? You know what that was? What was it? Well, I could say it was a swirling plastic bag, but actually it was Kate Upton. Oh, Okay, yeah. Because... Yeah, I think I'd, I'd much rather see Kate Upton rather than a swirling plastic bag, although it could be one of the most beautiful things in the world if if you didn't know what beauty was. <laughs> now, see, it sounds like we're already picking on one of the movies that we're talking about. Uh, when I, I when I think both of us actually like the movie, but sometimes yeah, yeah. you have to make fun of the things you're going to talk about. So we're, we're picking on American Beauty just a little bit. But that's one of the movies we're talking about. Phil, tell people what this episode entails so they know why we're talking about swirling plastic bags. Yeah, we're going to be going after the ending of American Beauty, that classic film with Kevin Spacey. We know back when we could talk about Kevin Spacey and not go, oops. <laughs> right. Uh, and also we'll be doing, uh, going after the ending of FX2. Yes, the sequel to FX Made by Illusion. Right, or just FX here in the U.S. And really, this is sort of more of a, a going after the ending of the, the FX, yeah. well, not a trilogy, duology. The, the FX, the two films is not specific to the second one. So if you haven't seen the second one, but you've seen the first one, you're still in luck. You'll be able to follow along just fine. If you haven't seen either of them, well, I can't help you then. And what else do we have in store? We'll also be looking at our top five favorite performances by Emma Stone. Yeah, Emma Stone is, uh, I think, a little bit of a favorite around here, so that should be fun to get into. But yeah, so we were making fun of American Beauty a little bit. Uh, to, to you know, full disclosure, I was not actually videotaping Kate Upton the other day. Ah. Oh. Because if I had been, you'd have known about it on social media. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, just that was just a little bit for, for the sake of, you know. That's okay. But I must admit that plastic bag scene in the American Beauty was the one which almost made me go, oh, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's a plastic bag in the wind. Stop videoing it. Pick it up. Put it in a bin. Think, think of, you know, the animals and, and you know, in, in, the, in nature and the fishes in the sea. Right. Yeah, you know, look at all, you yeah, know, we all know. We got rid of plastic straws, why not plastic bags? <laughs> exactly. All right, well, we'll dig into American Beauty a little bit deeper uh, in just a bit. But in the meantime, why don't we start off with our after the endings for FX and FX2. That sounds good. Do you want to give us a rundown of what the events generally in the films? Yeah, so what I did was just sort of sum summarize the first two films all together because they're, they're pretty simple concepts. So I sort of just smashed them together into one little synopsis for you here. So Raleigh Tyler, played by Brian Brown, that's the other guy from Cocktail with Tom Cruise, in case you forget who Brian Brown is. Uh, he's a movie special effects man. Uh, and Leo McCarthy, played by Brian Dennehy, is a police detective. Raleigh is brought in on a case to fake a mob boss being killed to keep him safe from assassins, but he gets caught up in a conspiracy and goes on the run. He's framed for killing his girlfriend and the assassin who actually killed her. Raleigh fights to prove his innocence and Leo helps him, which causes him to get kicked off the force, although they end up with a bundle of money as an outcome of the case. Later, Raleigh helps on another case that sees a cop get killed. He happens to be the father of a young boy named Chris, and Raleigh is seeing his mother, Kim. 
Raleigh and Leo, who's now a private eye because he got kicked off the police force, once again get caught up in a conspiracy, and Leo's new girlfriend, who is a police computer expert, is killed. They end up recovering several gold medallions from the mob and donate them to the church, and they once again end up with some leftover money for their spoils. And that's basically the quick and dirty version of FX and FX2. That's very good. I like I like the way you sum them up. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. They don't do it justice, though. I happen to have a real affinity for these films. How, how do you feel about them? Uh, I really... Uh, I don't, I've, I've seen the second one once, and I don't really recall it that well. But the first one, I... I watched that. Me and my brother watched that over and over so many times. I just thought it was awesome. Using all different special effects techniques and uh, Brian Brown was just really cool in it. And just, I, I really liked it. I've always had a soft spot for Brian Dennehy as well. So Yeah, he's great. It's I just I just like it. It's got loads of good character actors in it. Some great double crosses. It was one of those ones where you first saw it. You didn't, you know, it was back in the day when the whole plot wasn't spoiled because the internet didn't exist back then. And, and right. yeah, it's a bit cheesy in places, but yeah, on the whole, I, I really... I really enjoy it. Yeah. So what about you? You you big fan of them all? You know, I, I do like them a lot. I actually think, um, I, I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion. I don't know how much of an opinion people have about these movies. I actually like the second one better. Oh, okay. Um, I think that's because I saw it first. Oh, could, yeah, it could be, yeah. Because they're not really dependent on on knowing what happened in the first film to understand the second film. They're kind of, uh, you know, fairly independent movies. So I saw the first one in theaters, and I think I saw it a couple of times. I absolutely loved it. I just thought it was really cool. Brian Brown was great. Brian Denny's great. I like the whole special effects aspect of it and some of the things they did that were fairly cutting edge at the time. Yeah. You know, some yeah. of the, the effects stuff is dated now, but at the time it was really cool. I think the second one is a little lighter of a story and it has a little more humor in it. Um, and I do enjoy the first one very much, though. I actually just watched both these movies uh, quite recently and uh, I really had a fun time revisiting them. It was really great to watch them again, and uh, I, I enjoy them both very much. Oh, it's good that the uh, they're still worth a watch. Yeah, I need to. I was trying to track down so. the second film before doing this, but just couldn't get hold of a copy. So uh, right, right. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to track them down and watch them. But uh, oh, it's good to know that they're still good. I I think so. Like I said, a few things that are a little dated here and there, but overall. I think they're really fun movies. So if you haven't seen them, uh, I don't know if our endings will make that much sense to you, but hopefully you can track them down and watch them because they're a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you can watch either one. doesn't matter which order you watch them in for the most part because there's very little continuity to them. Whichever one you find, watch it. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, Phil, do you want to kick us off and give us your day after? Okay. Well, Rolly Tyler, he heads home and the next couple of years pass by quietly. He keeps working on making toys and FX illusions, different ones, little ideas he has in his head. He's always tinkering away. But he ends up getting a bit bored and so starts his own special effects production house that does work for films and TV. Uh, Rolly was missing being involved in the film biz and this way it keeps him up to speed on all the various FX developments. Liam McCarthy keeps on working as a PI. He doesn't really need to as he's quite a bit of money put away aside from the previous adventures. But he finds it keeps him busy and takes him around the world. He finds he can pick and choose the cases which interest him the most. However, his most recent case... He finds himself framed for the murder of a New York socialite. Uh-oh. Leo goes on the run and manages to get word to Raleigh. That's my day after. Mm, I like it. So keeping with the intrigue of the first two films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it. But that's, uh, thank you. That's, that's my day after. What's going on with yours, Mike? Okay, well, it's 1993, just a couple of years after the events with the mob, and Raleigh walks out of the movie theater and simply says, holy sh**. Chris, young Chris, is bouncing off the walls. Those dinosaurs look so real. Can you do that, Raleigh? Can you make dinosaurs like that? <laughs> Kim just laughs as Raleigh shakes his head, still in shock at what he's just seen on the big screen. Suddenly, his latest special effects innovations don't seem that impressive. With life having settled down, Raleigh started FX Productions up once again and had been making a solid living working as a special effects supervisor on several low- to mid-budgeted films. 
Now he's not so sure if there'll be much of a future for him in Hollywood. This dinosaur movie and its computer-generated wizardry would most likely change things overnight. Returning home, Kim goes to put Chris to bed, and the phone rings. Raleigh picks up, and it's Leo on the other end. Raleigh, listen, we've got to meet. Things are bad. I need your help. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. Okay. Uh, a, few, a few basic similarities, but yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm intrigued, yeah. Well, I think if you want to keep with the spirit of the movies, right, they have to get involved in something. Yeah, yeah. Because but, that's uh, sort of what, you know. I like the fact, yeah, the uh, the change in Tide and the FX business would, uh, Raleigh would be going, oops, <laughs> I need to get a computer. <laughs> right. And this movie and FX2 came out in 1991. So I felt I felt like the, the timing actually works out perfectly true to real yeah, life. Yeah, it does work well. So. Yeah. Great. Yeah. All right, well, let's hear your immediate aftermath then. Okay. Raleigh uses his FX skills to help Leo fake his death in a car crash explosion. This leaves Leo free, or at least free-ish, to look into the murder. It leads him and Raleigh down a rabbit hole of strange connections and weird happenings. During the investigation, there are, there are a couple of moments where they both feel like they have lost time, but they cannot find any explanation for it. Hmm. They also keep spotting individuals wearing black suits, but they never seem to manage to catch up with them. Eventually, the trail leads them to Area 51, and Rolly uses his skill and contacts to get them inside without being spotted. And that's my immediate aftermath. All right. Well, I, I, a I like it a lot. Um, I'm, I, I like the timeliness of it because of the whole thing where, you know, people are talking about storming Area <laughs> yeah, 51. Yeah. Now, for those of you who are listening to this like six months in the future and have no idea what we're talking about because this has all been forgotten, mm. what I mean by that is right now, right this very minute as we're recording this, there's a whole bunch of stuff floating around the internet about all these people, hundreds of thousands of people signing this petition saying that they're going to storm Area 51 to find out the truth about aliens. Yeah, and there's all sorts of celebrities getting involved and apparently the army saying if anybody does come here they can get arrested or shot because you know you're not meant to be here and i, I wrote this by the way a few weeks back okay a, couple, right. a week ago i think before i started seeing this but maybe maybe yeah. I, saw, I was seeing it but it was just at the start and it just hit me you know subconsciously but uh right but yeah it's crazy well anyway if if you're wondering what what we're talking about just flash back to you know this blip in time where all this ridiculousness was going on i'm sure nothing will come of it but that's uh that's very timely so nicely done or looking at the other way if you listen to this maybe sonic in area 51 caused the zombie apocalypse and you just this right this is on like some old ipod you found and it's the year 2084 and the world is just a, a mess yeah, now you'll know why. Anyway, now it, you'll know how it all started. Whenever you're listening to it, even if the zombie apocalypse, leave a good review and five stars, please. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Also, I have to say that I'm I'm interested to see if we're going to end up in the same place because there's a few things that may or may not come into play in mine, and we'll see if there's a strange coincidence at work here. Ooh, okay. Because neither so. Mike or myself know which, what the other one has written, so let's see what's right. going on with your immediate aftermath. All right. Well, it won't be apparent immediately. It may have it may be in my next section, but we'll see. Okay. So, uh, immediate aftermath. So, you want me to fake a plane crash? Raleigh exclaims loudly. Well, not just any plane. Leo replies. Air Force One. Ooh, okay. <laughs> you have lost your mind, Raleigh says. Listen, man, this is a matter of national security. National security, Raleigh exclaims. Leo, you're a private detective. What do you know about national security? Well, Leo says, I was actually recruited by the government a couple of years ago after that mob fiasco. Seems I attracted some attention from the right people, and I've been consulting on, let's say, logistically challenging jobs ever since. And I need your help on this one, pal. The president's life is in danger from internal sources. There are bad seeds within the government trying to take him out. My guy needs people he can trust, people not involved in the conspiracy, to flush out the conspirators. Raleigh stares at Leo for a long moment and then finally says, We better get started. This is going to be our biggest job yet. And that's the immediate aftermath. Oh, I like it, faking in the crash of Air Force One. Yeah. Uh, also, listener, don't forget that this mic sending is set in 1993, so it's on with the president of America back in 1993. Right. So, 
it's got to be better than certain other ones. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think it was Harrison Ford. And wait, president then, wasn't he? That's exactly what I was thinking. In my head, I, it's Harrison Ford. So yeah. uh, wait till you see how I pull off the, the immense detail I've gone into on this uh, on this fake plane crash, too. I think you'll be astounded. Oh, I look forward to it. I think it might be as yeah. the immense detail I've been in on certain other ones. <laughs> exactly. With long cons and heists and things. Right, right, right. Exactly. I look forward to so it. I think, I think you'll be amazed. Yeah. But meanwhile, let's hear how yours wraps up. Give me your long term. Okay. Well, Leo and Raleigh see many strange sights during their time in Air 51. They almost caught a couple of times, but they eventually tracked down their latest lead, a scientist who had inadvertently exposed the murder victim to a strange compound which had killed him. They had had to cover it up, and sadly, Leo had been the easiest option. The scientist apologises and pulls out a strange metal device. Before he has a chance to use it, a man wearing a black suit walks in and shoots the scientist. Leo and Rolly stand there looking stunned. The man in black apologises and then gives them a choice to either join his organisation or have their memory wiped and return to normality. They both take the former option. Wally now helps design and make various disguises and items for both humans and aliens. And Leo leads up a team of MIB investigators who track down witnesses and aliens who go on the run. And that's my long term. That is very cool. I like it. Thank you very much. I like it a lot. I just thought, yeah, uh, Rolly's skills at making all the masks and things would, would tie in well with the uh, men in black. Yeah. You know, suits and things. That is a good a good idea. Mm. And he could also be on, you know, he could always just say, oh, they're making a film. That's why there's aliens around. Right. But that's my uh, long term. What's going on with your long term? All right. Well, don't ask me how, but Leo and Raleigh pulled off the unbelievable task of faking a fiery crash of Air Force One. But how, Mike? Oh, no. How, yeah. <laughs> with a coordinated effort with Leo's contact in the government, they managed to use the fake disaster to reveal and arrest all the conspirators. And they also managed to keep news of the fake crash out of the media. There are a few rumors that something happened to the president, but he makes a couple of television appearances once he's safe from any internal enemies, and the rumors are quickly written off just as idle gossip. In a secret ceremony, both Leo and Raleigh are given congressional medals of honor. After the ceremony, Leo's contact approaches him and says, You did good work, son. I think we might have a use for both of you in a new program we're launching. Tell me. What do you know about the men in black? Holy crap. Right? Oh, my God. I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to ruin my ending, but I was flabbergasted. I was like, you, I can't believe you did the same thing. Oh, my God. How, like, the most random movie. Yeah. About special effects and everything. We both ended up having them join men in black. Wow. What are the odds? That's very weird. Which I think means either we're psychic or we're both really just not that creative anymore. (laughs) Well, no, because I, I was going. There's no, yeah, there's no way the two the, the two films could be linked. I know when you first said Area 51 earlier, I was like, ah, uh, hmm. I was like, well, maybe not. But then, because I had the same thought, I was like, oh, well, the government's going to recruit them and that they can use their special effects stuff to help with the aliens and oh the my hiding things and all that. So, well, for listeners out there, for newer listeners, as Phil mentioned, we don't compare our endings. It's pretty rare we have kind of the exact same ending. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. So I guess we just. Uh, I know, so we were both on the same wavelength this week. Wow. Or, or is it is it the obvious thing? No, it can't be the obvious thing. I, I wouldn't think so, right? I mean, it's just a special effects guy and a PI. Like, yeah. how does that end up in Men in Black? I don't know. Wow. Well. That's cool. That's, that's cool. I'll say this. I'll say this, Phil. I don't think we're going to go in the same direction for American Beauty. Oh, so. well, in American Beauty, mine all end up getting recruited in the MIB. <laughs> Every ending from yeah. now on is just going to end with your characters getting recruited yeah. into Men in Black. And yeah. then I'll be like seven episodes in, I'll be like, like, Phil, maybe you have gotten a little lazy. Hamlet, Men in Black. Oh, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> West Side Story, Men in Black. <laughs> exactly. How else oh, do you explain boy. the dancer? <laughs> 
So that well, that's our ending for FX and FX two. Phil, do you have any FX trivia for us? I just yeah, just a few little bits. It was produced by Dodie Fayad, who sadly died in the same car accident as Princess Diana. Right, right. Uh, I do remember seeing his name actually. Now that you mentioned it, when I was rewatching them, yeah, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, I remember seeing that and going, "Oh, that's interesting." Uh, there was also a TV show called FX the Series, which ran from 1996 to 1998, which I was not aware of and I've never seen anything about it. I remember it being on, but I, I don't th- either. I didn't watch it or I watched it once or twice and didn't love it. Yeah. But I do remember it existing. OK. And about an hour into FX2, we see a film playing on a TV and the film is the one that Raleigh was working on in the first film. Oh, look at that. that. I don't know if I caught that, even though I watched them back to back. But I quite like that because, yeah, in the first first FX, Raleigh's doing special effects for a particular film, which is getting filmed uh, before the conspiracy blows up in his face. But that's FX2 and FX. It's FX. All right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. The FXs. Yeah, FXs. FX. Men in Blefx. All right. Well, that's uh, that's FX and FX2. Let's move on then to American Beauty. Phil, you have the enviable task of taking us through the events of of American Beauty. So why don't you remind people what happens in the film? Yeah, it's American Beauty from 1999, directed by Sam Mendes. And we follow the character of Lester Burnham, who narrates the whole thing. He's played by Kevin Spacey, and he's having a midlife crisis. He isn't getting on with his wife, Carolyn, who's played by Annette Bening, and she's having an affair with her real estate business rival. Uh, Lester's daughter, Jane, played by Thor Birch, also doesn't like him. And basically, he's not having a very good time. Uh, Jane starts seeing Ricky Fitz, uh, the young man who lives next door. He's played by Wes Bentley, and he sells marijuana, and he videos everything, including the, the plastic bag, which he referenced in the opening. Uh, but Ricky is ruled by his very strict Marine father, Colonel Frank Fitz, played by Chris Cooper. And Ricky's mom is basically almost in a coma the whole way through because she doesn't say or do anything, and that's that. Oh, and, Lester's, and Colonel Frank Fitz is also very homophobic, and he doesn't like the uh, the gay neighbours the, on the road that they live on. Uh, but Lester ends up falling for Jane's friend Angela, who's a teenager, and played by Mina Savari. And Lester quits his job, starts working out, starts working in a, a burger place. He smokes pot with Ricky and spends a lot of time chanting Ricky and pursuing Angela. But, uh, but Frank thinks that Ricky and Lester are having a homosexual affair, and Frank confronts Lester. And in a little twist, which we sort of saw coming, he tries to kiss Lester, but Lester rebuffs him. Uh, Lester finds out, though, that. I- Angela is a virgin just as they were getting close so he realises he can't sleep with her it's not right and they just talk about life and realise that they've got quite a bit in common and they sort of help each other in the conversation. Then when Angela goes to the bathroom, uh, Lester sits in a chair and we see a figure creep up behind him and Lester gets shot and killed. We see that Frank was the one who did the shooting and we realise that one of his guns is missing from his house Uh, but Lester who's narrating the film says that despite his death he is happy because there's so much beauty in the world and that's American Beauty. Very nicely done. Thank you very much. That's a complicated movie to fit into a short synopsis. So yeah, yeah. There's lot, lots job. missed out there. That's the basics. Guy has a midlife crisis. Other guy shoots him. We could have just said that, right? <laughs> All right. So um, aside from the plastic bag, Phil, because you've already talked about that, how do you feel about American Beauty? I, I quite like it. I've not seen it in a long time, but I, I've really enjoyed it the times I've seen it. I thought uh, Kevin Spacey was brilliant. Well, everybody in it's brilliant. does a really good job because uh, it's – and it's one of those – it's a tricky film to like put into a box you know you can't say is it a drama mm-hmm. is it a comedy is it a thriller is it what is it? and what's it what's it dealing with is it dealing with about life or the comedy of life or yeah it's just so many it covers lots of different things but i do enjoy it yeah yeah uh, and i feel like i should watch it again though just to see how it's aged right what about you 
Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I remember when I saw it when it first came out, I really liked it. Uh, Kevin Spacey is brilliant. Um, and, you know, uh, any personal issues aside, he was a great actor who had a really good career. Yeah. And uh, But it is the same as you. I haven't seen it in a long time. I think it's a movie that doesn't necessarily lend itself to repeat viewings all that often. You know, it's like I'm not always in the mood. I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to throw in American Beauty on Friday night, get some popcorn, yeah, yeah. call the gang to come hang out. You know, it's kind of a, a deep movie. It's kind of an intense movie. So I, I think it's really good. Um, but not a type of movie I go back to all the time. I do think, though, um, you know, it's easy to forget now, but at the time, Wes Bentley got a lot of acclaim and it was kind of like the next it guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. he was really well regarded. And it never turned out that he became like the big star, I think, that people thought he was going to be. But I've seen him in a number of roles recently, and he, I feel like he's become like an incredibly valuable supporting actor. Yeah, he has been in a, lots more things like the past. The past like five or six years, I've been seeing him in more and more things. Yeah, every time I see his name in the credits of a movie, I go, well, this movie just got better because he's really just become fantastic. Like he was in um, this movie I just watched called The Best of Enemies with Sam Rockwell and Taraji P. Henson. Oh, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah and one, he's, yeah. he's just terrific in it. And everything I see him in lately, even though he's not the main role, he just really brings some real added value to it. So while he didn't necessarily turn out to be the next big star, I'm really glad that American Beauty introduced him to the world because I think he's really settled into an an amazing career as a supporting actor, which is a very valuable thing yeah, yeah. Uh, to have. So, so I'm I'm all about Wes Bentley these yeah, days. Yeah, he's he's a great actor. But you could say that all like the uh, the three young leads, Thor Birch, Mina Savari, and Wes Bentley were all like they were sort of like the next hot yes. thing with the hot property. Thorbridge disappeared pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there was some. I think her dad was like her agent or something, and there was lots of things going on behind the scenes. Right. I think lots of bridges were burned, from what I can gather. Mm-hmm. Um, Mina Savari, she, yeah, she she had a good run. Yeah, but she and she's and I mean, she's still around and still acting, but yeah. but her high profile roles have have not been. Yeah, they didn't seem to. They said, didn't seem. It happens all the time. They didn't seem to manage to keep on the crest of you know what the uh, their debut or their major debut promised. Right. Right, but that's yeah. There was some uh, yeah, great actors though, weren't it? Great, yeah, for sure. All very well acted, definitely. Yeah, but that's uh, that was what goes on in the uh, in the film. But what's going on with uh, your day after, Mike? Okay, well, um, you know, I once in a while try and branch out a little bit, be a little more creative, do something a little bit different. So I'm hoping this works. Oh, it's, okay. it's we'll see what happens. Oh, is it going to be Men in Black? No, it's ah, not forget Men it, Black. forget it. Go. <laughs> All right, here we go. It doesn't take long for the police to find him. His hiding place wasn't all that original, and once the police have him in custody, it's just a short time before the ballistics match up and place him at the scene of Lester's murder. There's a number of court proceedings, and then the trial begins. He's trotted out every so often and paraded in front of the jury, but he never tells his side of the story. It probably wouldn't have helped anyway. When the trial concludes, he's sentenced to a lifetime in a box. In his cage, time moves slowly. The days are endless, the nights are longer, and the routine is the same day after day. Nothing ever changes, and there are some people who feel that he got exactly what he deserved and should never see the light of day again. And it looks like that's exactly what's going to happen. But then, one day, everything changes. And that's my day after. Oh, intriguing. Thank you. I was trying to capture something American Beauty-ish. I didn't know. I don't know how to describe it. You know what I mean? So we'll see if it works when I get to the end. You didn't actually say who was arrested as well, did you? You didn't say. You're just saying it from his perspective. I'm assuming it's Frank, but it might not be, but... I I don't know. We'll see. All will be revealed. Okay. Is all I can say. All will be revealed. Ooh, okay. No, I like where that's going. <laughs> Very mysterious. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, what's going on in your day after? Okay. Well, everyone is reeling at the death of Lester Burnham. It doesn't take long for the police to arrest Frank Fitz. As that, but as they take Frank to the police car, he shouts about Lester being the devil and tempting him with his dark ways. 
Frank needs a lot of help. <laughs> Carolyn finds a journal that Lester had been keeping that details the events over the past few weeks. Some of it shocks her, but other parts make her realise just how far her and Lester had grown apart and just what she had lost. Jane just feels numb. She doesn't feel that big a loss and she feels she should be more upset. Ricky closes himself off in his room, but Jane sees him each evening. Angela is devastated. She felt she had made a proper connection with someone and now that person's gone. And that's my day after. Mm, deep. I like it. Mm. Very good. Well, what's going on with yours? What's changed? Okay, well, his release to freedom garners no news, no headlines. It's almost matter of fact. One day he's locked up, the next day he's free. He hops around from home to home for a while, but nobody seems to really want him, and it's no surprise. He's been locked up so long, it seems he's been forgotten. Finally, he ends up in a low-rent house in the bad part of town. There are three men living with him, and there's been a lot of hard living between the three of them. He sits unmoving when the men discuss an upcoming bank robbery. He remains silent while they plan their every move and draw up blueprints and schematics. He doesn't contribute when the men say that this score could change their lives if they pull it off, and they have to pull out all the stops to succeed. And when the time comes to put the plan in action, he goes along without protest. It isn't until the men enter the local bank at 4 p.m. on a Tuesday that he finally gets a chance to participate. And that's where I'm going to leave it for now. Oh, okay. Mm, I like it. I really like the way, Thank you, you. the way you're doing this. It's good. Thanks. I'm trying. I try. Mm, I try. That's good. All right. Well, let's hear what's going on with, with your very dramatic immediate aftermath. Okay. The day of Lester's funeral arrives, and it sees quite a large gathering at the church. There are friends and family present, but also lots of people who are curious to see if there will be any more drama after hearing of Lester's murder in the local news. Carolyn gives a brief eulogy for Lester, but then Ricky and Jane move to the front of the church. They wheel out a large TV and a video recorder. Ricky starts the video. What follows is a documentary that Ricky put together using the footage that he took of Lester. It paints the picture of a man who felt lost, but who gradually found himself and found happiness by seeing all that was beautiful in the world. Angela, standing at the back of the church, finally stops crying and smiles as she watches the video. Everyone is silent when the film stops playing. And that's my immediate aftermath. Oh, I really like that. That's really nice. Thank you. I think it captures the feel of the characters in the film, too. Like, I feel like that's something Ricky would do. You know what I mean? Yeah, because he was videoing the whole time, so there's all bits and pieces. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Right. He was obsessed with the video stuff, so yeah. it makes sense that he would have this footage and could put it together and do something nice for Lester. Because Lester isn't a bad guy, even oh, though yeah, yeah. you don't necessarily agree with all of his actions, but he's not a bad person. Yeah, yeah. But it's... Uh... But that's, yeah, I thought that was a, a nice thing that Ricky would do. But uh, what's going on with your long term? What's going on with this uh, this bank robbery? Okay, well, the bank robbery is chaos, but he remains quiet. Right from the start, nothing goes right. There's an extra security guard on shift that isn't supposed to be there. One of the tellers manages to hit the silent alarm, and there isn't nearly as much money as they expected there to be. Apparently, there had been an armored car pickup just before the men arrived, which emptied out most of the cash in the bank. Every time he's about to go into action, however, something changes and he remains silent. As the events escalate, the men start to panic. It's turned into a hostage situation, and the men are yelling and shouting and panicking. Suddenly, a smoke grenade pierces the glass and everything goes to hell. And it's then that he roars to life. He explodes into action, and people run screaming from him. He expends everything he has, but it isn't enough. Out of nowhere, a SWAT team member dressed all in black fires a single shot. In an instant, he's falling to the ground, helpless and immobilized. Before he knows it, everything has gone quiet and the bank robbery has been shut down. Laying on the cold, hard ground, Colonel Frank Fitz's gun lies silent and unmoving once again. The man who held him just moments ago lies dead on the ground, and the other two men are dead as well. An hour or so later, a police officer picks him up off the ground, seals him in a plastic bag, places him in a box in the trunk of a police car, and drives off. And that's the end. 
Oh, that's really good. That's powerful. Though. No, very good. I like that. Thanks. Like I said, I'd like to try something different. I thought it kind of felt, you know, American Beauty-ish mm. in a way. Mm, very good. All right. So let's hear how yours wraps up then. I want to see what's going on with these characters and their lives. Okay. Uh, Ricky's film is picked up by the local news and then the lo- larger networks find it. it. Plays over and over and touches many people who feel like Lester did. It makes some start talking about their feelings and reach out to those who they'd been drifting from. Others find a new appreciation for the world around them. Carolyn and Jane move to the other side of the country. Jane keeps in touch with Ricky, but the relationship but the relationship soon falls apart. Carolyn meets a nice man a few years later and eventually marries him. Jane eventually becomes a counsellor and helps many people. She also writes a number of books, some based on her father's journal. Ricky ends up becoming a successful documentary maker who focuses on the ordinary and the beauty therein. Cool. Angela ends up travelling the world, seeking connections and meaning to her life. She eventually meets a young man and they settle down back in America. She becomes a successful TV presenter and lives a long, happy life. But part of her always misses that connection she had with Lester. And that's my ending. Very nice. I like it. I like to see what all the characters ended up doing. And I especially like that uh, Ricky became a documentary filmmaker. That's very fitting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I like that. And he, but he picked, I reckon he picked the most boring subjects, but he'd make really good documentaries about them. Right. Right. Exactly. He'd make really interesting documentaries yeah. about boring, I think, which I think is very cool. Yeah. Awesome. So that's, uh, that's American Beauty. But let's... All right. Well, those are our endings. Phil, do you have any American trivia for us? Yes. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, Sir Michelle Geller, Brittany Murphy, Katie Holmes were all offered the role of Angela, but turned it down. So Mina Savari got the, got the part. Uh, the role of Lester Burnham could have been, and some good names in this one, it could have been Chevy Chase, Tom Hanks, Kevin Costner, Jeff Daniels, Woody Harrelson, John Travolta, or Bruce Willis. Wow. But uh, I think we, we uh, I think Kevin Spacey was a good choice. There's a few others in there I wouldn't mind. Like Woody Harrelson, I reckon, would have been good. Yeah, totally. And Jeff Daniels could have done it as well. But uh, Right. And as for Ricky Fitz, that could have been Jake Gyllenhaal or Seth Green, who auditioned for the role. Hmm. And American Beauty and Sounds of the Lambs were the only Best Picture winners in the 1990s to not be a period piece, apparently. Wow. Which is most interesting. Yeah. And that's American Beauty. Very nicely done. All right, there you go. So those are our endings for American Beauty and the FX movies. Now it's time to move on to our 100 stars of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein Phil and I take a favorite actor or actress and share our top five performances by said actor or actress. And this week we are talking about Emma Stone. Yes, yes, the, the wonderfully brilliant Emma Stone. I really do like seeing her in their films, and it's always... Uh... It's always nice to hear when she's going to be in a new film. Yeah, I, I honestly, I love Emma Stone. I think she's utterly fantastic. Uh, this was not a hard list to put together because she has so many good performances, but it was hard to kind of figure out what went where. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was easy to find five great performances from her. I'm definitely a big fan of hers. I'll be interested to see how many uh, different films we have, how many overlaps we have on our on our lists, but uh, it should be interesting. It was a good time. I know she's she's young. She doesn't have the same length of career that some of the people that we've discussed in the past have, have had, but she's had such a good, strong, and varied career so far that even at you know 31 or so years of age, uh, we thought, oh, let's do Emma Stone you know, so far because we can always revisit in the future. I'm sure she's got many, many great roles ahead of her. Yes, definitely. Yes. So do you want to kick things off? Yes, I will start. My number five is from 2014, and it is Birdman, where she plays uh, Sam, the the daughter of the main character, Michael Keaton. And uh, Birdman is a really interesting film, directed by Alejandro Iñárritu, I think is how you say that, but who knows, I could be butchering that. <laughs> but uh, she's really strong here in this film. It's a, it's a good, it's kind of a good catch-all performance to kind of showcase what she can do. I don't think it's her best, best performance, but I think it's a really good one. And I think 
it's made all the better by the fact that the movie was shot to look like it was one yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. one big take. So even though there are some cuts in it, there was a long, long scenes where these actors had to film, you know, for, for 20 or 30 minutes at a time. And if they messed up, they had to start the whole thing over again. There's complex blocking. They have to move through the building. It's like an episode of The West Wing. So I think the fact that there was so much to remember from a technical standpoint and that she still gives such a great performance makes this an easy one to come in at number five on my list. So that's Birdman at number five that's an excellent choice we might be hearing about that again a bit later on <laughs> i had a feeling maybe we would okay yeah my number five is from 2009 and it is zombieland uh, i think it's I'm not excellent sure. choice i'm not sure if this was the first film i became aware of emma stone i don't know i'm trying to think what it was but anyway as we know it's, it's following a few survivors uh, all named after various all have, yeah named after cities in america and emma stone plays wichita who's the older sister apparently of uh Abigail Breslin's character. Uh, I just like this because it's it was a zombie. I like Zombieland anyway because it's a good, it's a great zombie movie. It's a great comedy movie, uh, and I like Emma Stone's performance in this because she's playing a character who's not what they seem, and then so once we realize what they really like, the character changes. So there's a, there's, she's playing, it's all the same character, but there's a few, there's many different facets to it. Also all wrapped up in a whole zombie apocalypse thing, and I just thought she was great in the role. She managed to, you know. She does the whole con thing really well. Is that oozes confidence uh, even when the zombie's heading away and she's panicking? Uh, she just does all the different emotions so well, uh, and she's just she held her own. Well, that's the double girl Breslin, but she, but she held her own against you know Woody Harrelson and uh, Jesse Eisenberg, and just it was just it's great fun, and she was great in the role. Uh, agreed. I love that movie. I think she's great in it. It didn't make my list uh, only because she has so many strong performances. I I, I definitely left off some. That I really like. Oh, yeah, yeah, me too as well. I would guess, however, if you, you were saying if you weren't sure if that was the first time you, you were aware of her, I would guess maybe you first saw her in Superbad, which came out a few years before that's, Zombieland. Yeah, that's, yeah. But and I'm, I think I'm, that's really where she sort of, uh, you know, made her mark. That was kind of the movie that kind of put her on the map a little bit. And then she had some supporting roles and other things. And then um, Zombieland was kind of one of her bigger. That's, you know, that's right, yeah. But I was not bigger fan. I think it saw. Yeah, no, I don't like Superbad at all, actually. But yeah. that was definitely the movie that I was like, oh, she's good. Yeah, that, that's right, yeah. All right, very good pick. So my number four is from last year and it is a movie I really don't like at all uh, but it is The Favorite which stars her along with Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman won an Oscar. Oh yeah, yeah. I've still not seen that. Well, in my opinion, you're not missing a whole lot. It's a really <laughs> dreary movie. It's it's a period drama and Olivia Coleman is terrific. That's why she won the Oscar and it's a really tough, tough role. Emma Stone plays this uh, servant who comes to um, to live in the castle of this queen who's suffering all kinds of illnesses and she might be going slightly mad and she sort of replaces the queen's confidant and and gets taken into the queen's confidence and becomes sort of her friend and advisor and the other lady who doesn't like that she's being replaced is is trying to make life miserable for her and she ends up having to marry someone she's not into and there's all this it's you know it's this all 18th century kind of royal life except she's not a royal and things are terrible uh, it's not a pleasant film, but her performance in it is is really fantastic. She goes through a lot of crap. She's not a happy performance, um, but I think she digs really deep and gets to some places that maybe she hasn't gone to as much before. So uh, tough film to watch, not something I'm a big fan of, but her performance in it is terrific. So that's the favorite from last year at number four. Okay, yeah, I have heard good things about everybody involved in that good, good performances, but... Uh... Okay, uh, I've not seen it though, so I can't make my list. But uh, my number four is a film from 2011, and it's a romantic comedy, uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Ah, great choice. Yeah, it's got a great cast. Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Julia Moore, 
Mr. Tom Ike, Kevin Bacon. Uh, but uh, Emma Stone plays Hannah Weaver, who's the daughter of Steve Carell's character. And it's basically following a, a, a number of different characters as they sort of go through life and fall in love and meet people. Uh, and I just, uh, everybody, it's a great ensemble cast. Uh, but I just, again, Emma Stone, she just has this great chemistry with everybody involved. And she has lots of scenes with uh, Ryan Gosling. And this is where we sort of, you see the chemistry between them is just immense scenes are great and obviously went on to other films which might be mentioned later on the list i don't know but uh yeah i just i just thought she does it's just she's just playing a normal american woman and well what's normal how do you define normal that's a whole different thing <laughs> but she just does she just she just adds she's got so much charisma we just you know she just does wonderful things with which isn't really that complicated a role uh but she just makes it she makes the character hannah weaver just a living breathing character and you're just invested in her and what's going on with, with her, who she falls for and things like that. But it's just, I, I really like this film. I wasn't expecting much from it at all, but I, I love the hell out of it. And I just thought the scenes with her and were particularly good as well. And she did great things. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Very good choice. Uh, again, didn't make my list simply because, well, in this case, I like that movie very much, but I haven't seen it in a long time and I couldn't really remember. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard to, to, to rank things sometimes. You don't remember how much you... you you loved a performance, so I, I I didn't make my cut, but it is a good film and a great performance. Yeah. All right, very good. My number three comes from 2017, ironically also co-starring Steve Carell, but of course it's a different movie. It is Battle of the Sexes, where she plays Billie Jean King, the real-life oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, tennis yeah. player who ended up, of course, playing a you know a female tennis player playing against a male tennis player that Steve Carell plays, plays Bobby Riggs, who challenges Billie Jean King to a, a, a male versus female match. And of course, uh, well, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who goes on to see it. She plays him. And then it's a big moment for women's rights in tennis. Uh, Billie Jean King also famously is homosexual. And so Emma Stone had to portray that. Uh, and she it's interesting because she really changed her physicality for it, not only in the way that she plays the tennis and she tries to move like her, but she has like a terrible haircut and she wears the glasses and she looks kind of kind of nerdy looking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But it's a really good performance. She has to play this real life person. And there's actually some great special features on the DVD or the Blu-ray about how they they met. And, and you know, they both have very nice things to say about each other. Um, I think the movie itself is good. I don't think it's great. There's something missing from it. I'm not sure what. But her performance is outstanding. I think she really does capture the essence of, of Billie Jean King. Uh, and it was a pretty momentous occasion, so it's nice to see it brought to life. And she does a great job with it. An excellent choice. Yeah, I, I do like that film, yeah. Uh, just She doesn't, as we said, there's lots of different films that didn't quite make the cut for me. But I'm glad it made your list. Okay, my number three is one you've already mentioned. It's Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Very good. Which it's everybody calls it Birdman. Yeah, that's why I left that part out. Yeah, because, you know, let's not be too pretentious. Right. <laughs> but uh, I, I do like I do like this film uh, mainly because of Michael Keaton, because I do like, like Michael Keaton, but it's a great cast as well. But Emma Stone is Michael Keaton's daughter. She's uh, She's got a thankless task of coping with her father's eccentricities and the whole chaos that is this play they're trying to put on. And also, you know, this this is is it or isn't real, this voice is hearing, things like that. But uh, she's amazing in it. But I think you said pretty much everything. But also, again, there's the whole technical side when they're making this film to make it all look like one long extended shot, which I do. It's, it, it really is totally believable that it is. You can see bits where it goes to black as it's going down corridors and things and a few other bits. But it's just a hell of an achievement. But she's great. And she has the, the final scene as well, where she's just looking out the window with with the big eyes looking up in there and that this, the look on her face is just 
she just yeah she's got one of those actors who's really good at not having to speak but can show so many emotions in just a few seconds on her face it's it's incredible yeah agreed that's uh, that's my number three very good choice all right my number two is a comedy from 2010 and she plays the character of olive and the movie is easy a uh, which is sort of a modern high school set updating of Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter. I had to think on the author there for a second, but I pulled it out. So go me in my English degree. You did, you did. Well done. Um, well done. I like Easy A. You know, when it came out, it was a pretty big hit and people were raving about it. I don't love Easy A. I have some big problems with it. Um, my, my biggest one is that there's these multiple scenes where she's walking through the school and everybody in the entire school is staring at her because she's no longer a virgin. And I was like, yeah, it's high school. Yeah. Like... Nobody cares. Yeah, like, everyone's going through that in high yeah. school. For, I mean, not everyone, but most, a lot of people are. It's just not that big of a deal. And they made it, it just didn't work for me. It, it, it removed me from the reality of the movie. However, that being said, I think it's a really great performance from her because it's early in her career. She carries the entire movie on her back. There's some great supporting actors in it. Uh, Stanley Tucci is great as her dad. It's There's a lot of other great actors in there, uh, but she has to carry the movie. And I think that it's, uh, even though it is a comedy, her role has a lot of dramatic moments to it. And she carries it really well. She hits all the right notes. She's funny when she needs to be funny, but touching when she needs to be touching. And for somebody who's early in their career like that, it's a pretty strong turn considering yeah, yeah. she really hadn't anchored any movies at that point. Uh, by herself at that point yet so it's it's pretty impressive so easy a from 2010 is my number two an excellent choice again didn't make my list but mainly because i've not seen it in a long long time yeah understandable but yeah but uh, okay my number two is uh it's from 2016 it's a romantic comedy musical so it's not hard to guess but it's a film <laughs> it's la la land it's which is a film which i i didn't see when it initially came out and i think it was one of those ones where you know all the, everybody raving about it and all the hype when i eventually saw it i was going Oh, okay. Uh, so it's not one I particularly like or didn't like as much as I thought it would, because uh, it sometimes happens. But I thought uh, I thought Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone were both brilliant in it. But Emma Stone was particularly good, uh, especially the scene where she's doing auditions and things like that. Just, just I, I always find that amazing when you see them where they just just let rip with with acting as it is. But uh, so she acts incredibly well when she's being an actor, but also within it when she's being the character who's not acting at the time, but even though Emma Stone acting. And then, of course, she's got to sing and dance. And she's also got to, you know, keep all that together while gazing into the, the you know, having baby goose gazing at her adoringly as well. <laughs> so it's a uh, lot, lot's going on. Uh, but I, I thought her, well, both Ryan and Emma's performance was amazing, but her performance was just outstanding in the film. And uh, it made up for what I felt as a whole was, wasn't as good as everybody been saying, but uh, that's La La Land is my number two. I think that is an excellent choice. I will say that uh, personally I'm a little baffled because I don't see how La La Land could be anything other than your number one choice, but that's just me, hmm? and La La Land is my number one. I because thought it I might think, be that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think her performance in La La Land is not only hands down the best performance of her career, I think it's one of the best performances of the past decade. She is utterly amazing in that movie. It's funny because you said just a couple minutes ago that she's one of the actors who doesn't even have to say anything, but she can just have this range of emotions on her face. Yeah, yeah. And in that movie, she goes from like laughing to smiling to crying to any number of other emotions in literally seconds. You yeah. can watch her face transform and it's utterly believable every second of it. She doesn't miss a beat. I've never seen someone who can just transform their emotions so quickly and so effortlessly. And then, like you said, on top of that, she has to sing and dance and do these musical numbers. But 
Boy, I just think that her performance in that film is one for the ages. I was a big champion of her winning the Oscar that year. I was glad to see that she did because I don't think anybody's other's performance came even close to it. Yeah, yeah. And as much as I like Ryan Gosling's performance, and I think he's great too, she really steals the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, personally, I love that movie, so I'm glad that it won the Oscar for Best Picture because it did. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's no other film that year than anybody could mention that won Best Picture because <laughs> La La Land won it and yeah. it deserved it. And that's where we're leaving it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but she really was this, uh, you, you know, most years when the Oscars come around, I don't care all that much. And when even when I do, there's maybe one or two things I'm leaning towards and it's kind of like, oh, well, they're all good actors. They're all good actresses. I'm happy whoever wins. But that year it was like, it better be Emma Stone because nobody came close to touching what she did in that film. So that's my number one with a bullet, La La Land. The minute we decided that Emma Stone would be our, our top five list, I already knew La La Land would be my number one it, nothing else even came close for me no it's like it's like some choice because of performance you can't fault a performance in the film right but i can see how having the reaction you had to the film maybe that also colored your placement of it a little bit yeah yeah but uh my number one though is it's a little bit different because it's not it's not a film it's uh it was a mini series which is but it's just a one-off mini series so it's just one long performance one long film but it was from uh Last year on Netflix, it was Maniac. Ah, okay. The, the miniseries she did with uh, Jonah Hill and directed by Carrie Fukunaga, the guy who did uh, Two Detectives Season 1. Mm-hmm. But I, I really like this one. I know lots of people didn't, but I, I thought this was an amazing show where she's playing uh, Annie Landsberg, who uh, goes does this, tries this pharmaceutical trial, which involves this mind-bending drug. And as she's taking it, she connects with uh, Jonah Hill's character, and part of the process of taking this medication involves this machine as well, which can text them, which connects the minds. And basically they're playing these one characters, but then when they're connected, they end up having these different scenarios. Like one of them, they're like uh, con artists in like a period dress. Another one, she's playing an elf character, trying to get her sister through this fantasy land. Uh, and there's lots of other different ones. So she's playing a number of different roles within the one story, but it's all tied up with this one character, Annie Landsberg, who's got borderline personality disorder uh, she's not that nice a person as well so she, she's doing a, in typical Emma Stone style she she pulls off all of these various aspects and roles within the one role and just does just keeps it all together and you just pulled along you just want you want her to sort of heal herself and be be a you know be happy and it's just it just carries you through and I, I thought it was incredible it's because the things she has to do in it and the, the different the different styles and there's different genres covered as well it's just so incredible. It's just I just thought it was an outstanding performance by her and also Jonah Hill as well, who, who blew me away because I was used to him like in comedies and a few things, but I keep seeing right. him in serious things. But for, to me, Emma Stone in this was just uh, outstanding. She did so much heavy lifting and just had so much to do, and she did it amazingly well. And that's my number one. All right, well, that's a really good pick for number one. Uh, and, and interesting to see. So I thought there might be a lot of overlap on our lists, and it turns out there was only a little bit, and we had yeah. quite a few different choices. Yeah. So just goes to show what a versatile and talented actress she is. Yes, yes, definitely lots of lots of film roles worth checking out as well, but uh, I look forward to what she does next. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, there you go. That is our top five Emma Stone performances, and that is our episode. That's going to do it for us for now. So as always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. This Jurassic movie and its computer wizardry. This dinosaur movie and its... Okay. (laughs) If, uh, If people are listening to this during the zombie apocalypse, Phil, you may have just attracted the zombies with what you just made in the set, like zombie mating call. Yeah, great. Now I hope no one's listening to it on a speaker because you're going to pull all the zombies out.
You do that awfully well. It kind of disturbs me a little. <laughs> and once again, I didn't. I don't know why I always forget to like make any kind of notes whatsoever. <laughs> like I write the name of the movie, and then I, then when I'm recording, I'm like, oh, I should probably think about like who her character is, or what year the movie came out, or anything <laughs> helpful at all. But I don't. I'm just like, ah, oh, just write down the names of movies. It's so easy. <laughs> Uh, Bobby Brit, Bobby Riggs. I was gonna say Bobby Fish. He's the chess guy, isn't he? That would have been a hell of a tennis match. That, yeah, she would have probably won that pretty easily. <laughs> the minute we decided to do uh, to do Emma Stone, <laughs> I wish. Um, oh, sorry, I'm to cut that out. Uh, so I was looking for some of my dad jokes for this episode, right? Okay. Because I thought, you know, it's fun. I, I like sometimes to do these, and um, I, I, you know, I was trying to. I always try and theme them to sort of one of the movies. So. I was like, oh, well, let me see if there's any special effects jokes out there, right? Okay. Well, I came across this page called vfxjokes.com. You're joking. No. What's great about it, though, is it's clearly made for people who work in the special effects industry and not for lay people. So here, let me share some of these jokes with you because they're freaking awesome. This actually, oh my God. <laughs> yes, yes, I swear. So here's what's great because they don't, they're only for people who work in the industry, right? So when in a pool, why do roto artists always stay in the middle? Don't know. They hate edge swimming. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know what that oh means. Ultra specific dad jokes. Oh yes. My JavaScript is cool, but C plus plus has class. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. Holy crap! What do you do if a hard disk beats you up? I don't know. You beat it back up. Because oh, I guess I, you back I can, things up. I can understand up. that, but yeah, it's not funny. It's not funny <laughs> exactly. <laughs>